When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist, and you're listening to Babbage, a weekly conversation on science and technology. I'm Kenneth Kukier, the data editor, and I'm talking today with our science correspondent, Jason Palmer, and Miranda Johnson, our environment correspondent. In this episode, we're going to talk about pricing fine wine using artificial intelligence. And we'll consider the international politics of climate change. First, let's start with wine. Where else? Jason, what's going on? Well, there's a a paper out in the literature this week in the Journal of Wine Economics, which I'm sure you have a copy of at home, uh, talking about bringing machine learning, a kind of artificial intelligence, to, to bear on the business of fine wine pricing. Okay. And so what's new about that? I thought that we would have used data to price wine already. Well, in a sense, I mean, it's fine wine is one of these sort of alternative assets like, you know, baseball cards and uh, violins, you know, well about all sorts of things for which sort of standard pricing structures don't really exist and for which you kind of have to do a little bit of guesswork. Fine wine is sort of famously even on the fringes of that because so much of it is based on tastings that happen when a wine is young and so on. It's all very subjective. It's all very, can you get the Madagascan vanilla notes out of out of this price and what have you? And the, the experts have paid kind of no mind whatsoever to any quantitative uh, methods that, that have been attempted. Data, sure, there's the weather on the, the year that the wine is produced, there's the rainfall, what have you. You can kind of bring lots of numbers into it. But again, um, the real experts, the people who are actually controlling the prices of these things, pay no mind. This week, what we're seeing in the literature is kind of upping the complexity, upping the sophistication of the calculation, weirdly by paying kind of very little attention to all of this other stuff, the rainfall and the weather and what have you, just looking at the historical prices. Okay. And so why does this technique work differently or better than a traditional statistical model? Why why apply artificial intelligence to it at all? Well, I mean, artificial intelligence models are hot stuff in the world of sort of more standard asset classes, if you like. And this is the first time it's been brought to bear on an alternative asset or, or at least on, on fine wine. Uh, it works better because it's just generally more brute force computation if you set up the calculation right. So there's lots of people working behind the scenes trying to make this work for your standard assets. In fine wine, there have been sort of what are called linear regression models, and some people have tried that. Again, experts have paid no mind, but that doesn't stop the Journal of Wine Economics from, from continuing to publish this stuff and try to get better at it. In a sense, this is just bringing what's already known for other asset classes into use. Sure, but why don't we explain what are linear regression models and why machine learning does better? Well, existing regression models are relatively sophisticated, but they're based on a a very old idea, which is you have this big mess of data points and you want to kind of, you know, squint at the data and find the line that kind of gets closest to, on average, all of those data points. And we should also emphasize that this line of best fit was created a century ago before computers were around. So it was really about how human beings were going to interact with data using their minds, not how machines would crunch it more impressively. Well, I mean, in these computational era, things have gotten a little more sophisticated and so on. But things have kind of taken a big leap in the form of machine learning, which is instead of take a 
comparatively simple equation and try to get all of the points closest to the equation that describes this line and what have you. It's feed in buckets and buckets and buckets of data and let the computer look for, use these methods to find patterns that we couldn't see with a simple equation, that we couldn't see, of course, with our own eyes and so on. Okay. So final question, Jason. Malbec versus Cote d'Iron. Malbec every time. I totally agree with you. That's the one thing that we can agree on. (laughs) Totally. No question. Thank you, Jason. Miranda, next to you. America's Environmental Protection Agency has announced new rules to reduce carbon emissions. What's going on? Well, it's been uh, an exciting week in America. Um, On August 3rd, the Environmental Protection Agency announced new rules to try and curb the amount of carbon pollution coming from America's power plants. Uh, and these are power plants that largely burn coal uh, because, you know, as we know, with the greenhouse effect, greenhouse gases, including uh, carbon dioxide and water vapor, inhibit the outward flow of energy uh, from the earth, just the, the, the basics. The EPA feels that power plants in the US are a big factor in all of this. They actually produce only about 30% of America's total carbon emissions. And America itself produces about 15% of the world's total emissions. So this is an attempt to start reining in what the US does and how it pollutes uh, ahead of the UN Climate Change Conference in December. Okay, so how does the plan work? What the plan does is essentially make states introduce their own individual tailored plans for how they're going to get power plants to reduce their carbon dioxide emissions. Okay, let me ask a more uh, blunt question. What chance does a policy like this have to go into force if Republicans actually don't even believe in climate change? (laughs) Yes, good question. I think the most serious problem with the plan is that as usual um, with EPA uh, regulation, there will be years of court cases. Um, I was speaking with experts yesterday who said this is true, but actually the EPA has a pretty good track record of winning um, in such cases. It's won about 70% of um, the litigation that it's been involved in. So 30 years later, we will have an EPA victory, a court order that says the EPA can go forward with its wise and sensible plan. That sounds useful as the Waters lap upon Manhattan. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean, there is some uh, litigation, certain, I think it's about 15 attorney generals across America already looking to bring this into the courts. And that may happen in 2017. But until then, states are being pushed into investing more in renewable energy, um, into improving their efficiency and into switching their polluting coal plants for uh, gas burning plants. And um, gas may actually be the key to all of this because it's very cheap, it's abundant, and it only produces half the carbon emissions that coal does. So while it's not a perfect fuel by any means, it is a step forward. Okay. And it sounds like there's also a incentive for the Obama administration to put this through because of the international politics of climate change. Tell us a bit about that. Absolutely. So America already has a target to try and reduce its emissions by 17 percent by 2020. Um, The Clean Power Plan is an attempt to make sure that those promises it has already made uh, internationally match up with uh, domestic policies. Um, We've seen times where John Kerry has 
gone off and promised things with other nations or tried to agree things and has actually been left looking silly because domestically policies are not in place to kind of match up and back up those promises that he's made. While, as we've said, the, the Clean Power Plan does, does not go as far as it might do and indeed as America needs to if it's to do its share to stop global mean temperatures uh, rising above two Celsius. It is a good indication that in December at the next round of climate negotiations, America wants to play more of a role, certainly than it has done in the past decade, if not longer. Jason, you wanted to add something? Well, I was just wondering if the the trying to strike a deal in, in Paris in December is one of the only ways to save this from the people who are already, you know, baying for blood, the Republicans and the coal lobby who say this is, you know, this is ridiculous and onerous and what have you, if getting a deal in Paris would kind of cement that better for uh, sort of save it from an attrition later. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the, the environment more largely is already becoming a feature of the uh, 2016 presidential Debates and candidates such as Hillary Clinton have come out uh, in favor. You don't of, say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course, uh, in favor of the clean power plan. Now, there are there are nine hundred Republican candidates. What, yeah. what, what, what do they think? So yeah, this is this is the interesting point. I mean, they all uh, have poured scorn a plenty uh, on the clean power plan, and you know, say that it will kill jobs and damage America's economy. Actually, more people work in the solar industry um, than work in the coal industry. Um, and yet you never hear about the solar lobby. Where no, are they? Yeah, well, they, they, actually, uh, uh, on, on the contrary, you do hear a lot about them because there's a lot of subsidies that go in their direction. Yeah, yeah. In fact, indeed, this very policy, you could say, is a sop to the solar industry. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's not clear whether the incentives program will mean that tax incentives that already exist for solar and for wind whether they will need to be extended remains to be seen, but the incentives program may cover that. But as I was saying, uh, the Clean Power Plan really throws all of this into 2016 and beyond. And the success of the Clean Power Plan will very much depend, I think, on who occupies the White House next. Okay. Miranda, I have a final question for you. I know, I think you know what's coming. Malbec versus Coterone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, Cote d'Iron, actually, every time. Every, I'm, I'm Old afraid. world versus new yeah, world. I, mean, I see what you've set up here. Yeah, apparently, yeah. I see Argentina is lovely, but there's Malbec the, is not, in my opinion. In my oh, opinion. interesting. I think you've, you undermine a good Malbec. There's the Americas versus the Europeans. Yeah. How interesting. Miranda, thank you very much. Jason, thank you. That's all for this episode. You've been listening to Babbage. Before we close the program, allow me to make an appeal as we did in the past two weeks. We would love to hear from you and get your feedback if you have suggestions for how we can improve the show. Please email us at letters at economist.com. That's letters at economist.com. And for those of you who have already written in, thank you. We appreciate your views. For more news on science and technology, please visit economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.